You're listening to sermons from Redeemer Church in Round Rock, Texas. Redeemer is a gospel-centered, missional family learning and living the way of Jesus in the suburbs of Austin. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome to our Sunday gathering. My name is Josh. I'm one of the elders here. You can have a seat. Uh, Go ahead and be seated. Um, We are glad that you're here because we believe that when we gather around God's Word, that when we come into worship with hearts full of humility, and when we come believing that God exists, that he has grace and mercy to pour out on us. We believe that God cares for us, that he cares for you, and so we're glad that you're here. And I I wanna begin just uh, today, we're we're beginning a new series. I wanna begin with a question of, do you realize that? Do you realize that God cares deeply about you? Not just about kind of the bookends of your life, like where you're going to spend eternity and maybe when you were born and your cute little baby pictures, but God cares about the whole of your life. He cares about the everyday, ordinary things that you do each and every day. He cares about the way you and your wife talk to one another on the way to church this morning. He cares about the way you felt lonely and perhaps afraid last night. He cares about the decisions that you're facing that you don't know exactly what to do, that you need wisdom for, that you need direction. He cares about the way we spend our time and how we invest the things that God has given us. He cares about the way you work. He cares about the way you treat other people, the way you especially treat those who mistreat you. You see, God cares about the whole of your life. And as a loving father, God cares in such a way that he doesn't just forgive us when we mess up or forgive us for being foolish. He does so, but he wants to teach us and give us direction. He wants to give us wisdom that leads us to live in a way that radiates the glory of his grace. So this morning we begin a new series in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is written for this exact purpose, to give us wisdom for everyday, ordinary living. Now, Proverbs was originally written from the perspective of a father discipling a son, but it's also, because it is Holy Scripture, it transcends that to also give wisdom for the entire church so we can look in as not the original audience, but as those who God later would give it to and receive wisdom for our day, wisdom for our time. See, Proverbs is an invitation for foolish people like you and like me to humbly come and grow in wisdom. There's two goals I want to set out at the beginning for our study of Proverbs. First is Proverbs is going to deepen our character. It's going to deepen our character. We, we, don't, we aren't people who just live by a rule book. We don't have like 106 ways that you need to live this week. We're people who live deeply formed by the character of Christ, by the spirit-infused virtues of, of Christ. And so we want to see Proverbs give us wisdom, not just to give us some rules to follow, but to shape us into the kind of people that no matter the context or setting we go into, we reflect the person and character of Christ. And secondly, Proverbs is going to clarify our thinking. You know, our minds are often cloudy, especially today in an age of chaos and and digital media and all the voices coming in on you. Sometimes we lose our bearings. Sometimes we lose touch with what is true and what is real. 
Proverbs is going to bring us back into the reality of God's world, where he is God and we are not. Proverbs actually sets out its own purpose statement at the very beginning of the book. Uh, If you have your Bibles, you can look at Proverbs 1, verses 1 through 6. It says this, kind of gives us the purpose of Proverbs. It says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. This is the purpose of the book of Proverbs, to get wisdom. And here's where I want us to go today as we kind of kick off this series. I want to answer two very simple, basic, but foundational questions. One is, why do we need wisdom? And two is, where can we find it, right? You've you've never had a simpler two points than that. Why do we need wisdom and where do we find it? Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come to you this morning humbled by our circumstances, humbled by our experiences, knowing that we are not God, knowing often that we don't act wisely and we act as a fool, and we need your help. We need your direction. We need your counsel to bring us back into the reality of your good world that you created where you are God and we are not. Lord, help us to to know that we are loved by you, that you are a good father, and that your wisdom and direction should be received with joy and gladness. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, why do we need wisdom? Um, A few years back, I was on a flight, an international flight. I don't want to sound uh, fancy there. This is my only international flight. Um, And I was on my way back from a trip to Eastern Europe. And on the way back, at some point during the flight, they brought this cart by, which was the duty-free cart. Like you could buy items that were duty-free, which I I still don't completely understand what that means, but I think you get a tax break. I think that's the gist of it. And on this cart, they were selling these huge cartons, these big cartons of cigarettes. And it caught my attention because on the carton, uh, there were vivid pictures of like what cigarettes did to you. There was like lungs and they just looked like, you know, the Black Death. There was skull and crossbones. There were children coughing and, you know, like, it's going to kill the kids too. No, don't, kids, you shouldn't smoke, by the way, but don't want to scare you too much. I know you're in here today, right? And there, there was warning signs on these cartons that basically were trying to tell us, hey, if you can buy this, but if you smoke it and if you use it, it's probably going to kill you and it probably hurt the children around you, like, right? Like, this is not something you should buy, but hey, here, here it is, right? And, and amazingly, you know, people still buy them. They still bought them. They still buy them today. And, and I don't mean if you're a smoker, I don't mean to be too harsh. I'm not trying to come down on you, although I will say you probably should quit. It is bad for your health. All the warnings are true. Um, take it up with Jesus. But I say this to show that as a species, we, we really don't have a great track record when it comes to wisdom. Um, Even when the warning signs are there saying, hey, this is really bad, this is not going to end well, uh, we're we're like, hey, yeah, give me a box, you know, I'll take it. Um, Now, perhaps more challenging today 
is that there are many things now that come to us, and rather than having warning signs on the box, rather than these explicit warnings of, hey, this leads to death, we have a bunch of things that lead to death, but they're packaged as if they lead to life. In fact, we live in a day when our culture has packaged us all sorts of foolishness with labels, not with skull and crossbones or or darkened lungs, but with joy and happiness and fulfillment of everything we ever long for in this product. We have all sorts of, uh, of things that we see. You go to the grocery store, you see f- many flashy things of food without nourishment, right? You can, all the, all the cereals and candies and all, you think of how much advertising dollars goes into showing us, hey, buy this little product. Look at how happy it makes these kids or these adults or, or this thing. And yet, what is the nourishment of those things? And again, I'm not trying to give you a lecture on what you should eat. I'm probably the last person who should do that. But we have a culture that's selling us all the, literally selling us all these products that are just filled with sugar, emptiness, and and passing themselves off as food, promising promising us happy, and yet delivering only diabetes and weight issues. We have in our culture power without character. We've got the myth that that maybe if we, even as Christians, maybe if we team up and we compromise morals morals to support this particular candidate or or political ideology, who cares if they're they're degrading to women and and say these things about certain people or whatever side of the aisle you're on? What if if we, as long as we get in power, the, the ends justify the means? And sometimes we as Christians can buy into the the lie and the package that uh, God doesn't care about the means. And we forget the proverb that ill-gotten gains will rot away. We want love in our culture without truth, right? Only affirm others without, uh, without any quality of honesty. There's no place for pushback. It's only accept me and, and anything that I want to be. We want data without limits, right? We have phones. Those are literally plans that we can have now. Uh, on our phones, the stream of data constantly coming at us through social media, through classic media. Our phones offer us an endless supply of distractions that lead us to anxiety and, and at minimum leave us disconnected from the present moment. All because we're trying to figure it all out or I have a worry so now I'm going to look it up. And, you know, all the data in the world and we, we have it almost without limit in our culture. We want wealth without work, right? We want to play the lottery and get rich quick. We have identity without authority. There's a lot of identity talk in our culture. There's an endless online curation of who we can be, right? The digital world has opened up this weird uh, time for us where you can kind of curate who you want to be online, right? You can, you know, uh, you can put those little face filters. You want to be a little younger, a little little handsome or cuter. You, you put a face filter on you, 10 years earlier, you know? You gotta cure it. You gotta put in your bio very profound sounding things about yourself and, you know, lead, thought leader, influence. You know, you, you can curate an online identity. You show the highlight moments of your life, you know, super mom or super dad. And, and you can really curate this whole persona and identity online. Um, if we take that a step further, you, you can, our culture's kind of bought into you can really be whatever you feel internally you, you wanna be. Like, who's the authority other than you and your internal experience? We see this with gender identity, with people saying, you know, no longer does, does biology or science, does that have any, don't, it has no claim on me. Whatever my internal experience is, that is what I say I am. 
And you can quite literally identify as almost anything. Not to harp too much on that. We live in a time where we have more technology than ever before. We have more advances in medicine. We have more and more stuff and junk you can fill your storage bins with. And yet we're as foolish as ever, aren't we? We still don't know what to do with it. We still at times don't know what in the world it's all for, where in the world our life is going. Now, listen, church family, foolishness is easy. It's easy. In fact, when we, when we see wisdom at work in the world and not foolishness, we should be surprised. Foolish living is natural. It's just what we do, right? Um, when you smash your finger or you pop up and hit your head on the cabinet that you forgot you just left open, how many of you done that? It doesn't take, you don't have to go aside and pray to come up with curse words and angry you know, responses, right? It just, boom, it just happens. Um, when you're hurt by others in relationships, retaliation just comes easy, right? You don't have to train your three-year-old to take, you know, take vengeance on the five-year-old sibling that just took their toy. When we're lonely and looking for love, the online and quick solutions are easy. When we're struggling to fit in and we don't know who we are, the cultural labels and identities, they come easy. When our marriage is struggling, and it's hitting a tension point, another lover seems easy. When stress has ruled the day and we come home and we just want a little bit of peace and quiet, the, the, the sweet substances of sugar or maybe alcohol or nicotine or narcotics come easy. In all our struggle and strife, anxiety and hardship, there is no shortage of foolish Quick fix solutions, packaged as life, delivering death. But God, as we said at the beginning, loves you and he cares about you. And not only does he want to forgive you for your foolish rebellion, but he offers life-changing wisdom. He wants you to see those cigarettes for what they really are. Again, I'm not just harping on it, it's kind of a symbol for the sermon, but and lead you toward the real substance of life. He wants to give you wisdom. And he does this in Proverbs in a, in a variety of ways. One of those is he gives warning signs for the path that leads to foolishness and destruction. He gives us warning signs. And he also gives us compelling vision for what it looks like to live wisely, to live in union with the God who created us. Look at Proverbs 16, 25. It says this. There is a way that looks harmless enough. This is the message, by the way, so it's not going to match. There's a way that looks harmless enough. Look again. It leads straight to hell. Eugene doesn't hold any punches. Have you come to the point where you can admit that on your own, you tend to make a mess of things? That oftentimes, left to our own devices, we keep pursuing things. We keep giving our attention to things that deep down we know are destructive and damaging to us and to others. The way we eat, what we give attention to with our minds, the way we resist maybe hard work or the way we overwork at the expense of our family. 
the substances we abuse, whether that's all the way from sugar to narcotics, endless reactivity to our stress by making rash and chaotic decisions that don't just leave our life in chaos, but they leave everyone around us in chaos. There's a whole host of ways that we have that seem right to us, that come natural and easy to us, and yet in the end, they lead to destruction. If we're honest with ourselves, we need wisdom because since the garden, humanity has not done a good job about managing good and evil. And our pride might try to convince us otherwise, but history and several Reddit threads that I could direct you to would say otherwise. You see, Proverbs is good news for foolish people. Through the book of Proverbs, one theologian says, God coaches us in wisdom we need throughout the long and complicated path of our everyday lives. I just want you to take this in for a minute. The God of the universe isn't just a distant deity who's kind of like, figure it out. (laughs) He doesn't just create it, spin it, and let it run. He says, I care about you. I'm a loving father. I want to give you direction and instruction for your life, not because I'm some oppressive religious force, but because I love you. I made you. I I made the world. I know how this works. So number two, where can we find wisdom? Well, Proverbs 1, 7 that we read earlier, verse verse 7 says this. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or wisdom, some translations say. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. I think this is quite an interesting way to begin our journey of wisdom, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now this, when we say the word fear, it's not like we feel a villain or for me, a snake, you know, like it's not like that primal fear of something that's going to harm you. It, it, there is a sense of reverence in it, certainly, but it's, it's more like what Ray Ortland says. He says, what then is the fear of the Lord? It is not a cringing dread before the Lord. It is not a guilty, oh no, here comes God, I'm in for it now. The fear of the Lord is openness to him, eagerness to please him, humility to be instructed by him. The fear of the Lord is a willingness to turn from evil and change. The fear of the Lord is when we realize I am not the measure of all things. I am being measured. You see, the fear of the Lord is the first principle of wisdom. It's not, it's not like a gate that we enter through. Okay, we feared God, and now we're off to, to learn. It's like the foundational layer of us building a wise, thoughtful life. The foundational layer is the fear of the Lord. And wisdom begins when we come to see that God is God and we are not. When we see God is God and we are not, that is the starting point. You can know all sorts of things about life. You can do all sorts of studies. You can get all sorts of degrees. You can read all sorts of Wikipedia articles. We can gather facts and data, even helpful tips, and there's nothing wrong with those things. Those things have their place. But the fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. True wisdom starts with coming before God with nothing and opening our hearts to receive and learn 
from him. As Proverbs 3, 19 through 20 says, The Lord, by his wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open. The cloud dropped down the dew. You see, in some ways, and this is going to sound counterintuitive, to begin to become wise people, we must, we must go through a phase of unknowing. My children, oftentimes, I will you know, give them an instruction. And one thing they say that always gets a little on my nerves, I apologize, they're in here, I didn't ask permission, but it's not that bad, is they'll always say, I know, I know, Dad, I know. I'm like, you didn't know, I just said that. How did you know? Are you, you, have, you, you, have, like, pre, you have that kind of knowledge? Wow. Um, there's a sense in which wisdom begins with an, with an acknowledgement of ignorance. That it begins with, I don't know. I need to learn. Maybe these instincts and these natural responses, even though they feel like they're the right way, maybe, they're, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I need something above me, something outside of me to, to receive it. Maybe wisdom is not starting with a wellspring of all the, the stuff in me and then I project it on the world, but it's actually me saying, I know nothing. I need to learn. One of my favorite uh, church fathers or, or, or doctors in the church is St. Is Thomas Aquinas. And there's a story uh, of, of his life where St. Thomas Aquinas in... Uh, in 1273, quite a while ago, um, he was taking Holy Communion at the Feast of St. Nicholas. Uh, that's, that's Santa Claus, by the way. Um, and he received such a revelation of the Lord when he was taking communion. He had such an encounter in the, the, the beauty and majesty of God that this writer, this doctor of the church, who's written volumes, I mean, this guy written, read his Summa Theologica, it's like, you know, it's, it's a shelf taker. It's, it's, it's big. He, he walked away from that moment and he said, all of my work, all of my philosophizing and thinking is but straw. And he never wrote again. Thomas Aquinas would die uh, three months later. And my point in that is one of the wisest, most gifted minds in all church history came to the point where he realized, I know nothing in the presence of God. Now, now that's not, don't hear me saying we should not read his stuff or we should not think well and do all of that, but, but it's a point that says the beginning and the, the kind of the, the paradox of wisdom is that I have to come to the place where I am so wowed by the glory and transcendence and beauty of God that I know nothing. And I'm primed in that very moment to begin receiving wisdom. You see, the whole world doesn't make sense until we come to realize God is the glorious creator and embrace ourselves as small, feeble, limited, weak creation. The paradox is that we only find our significance when we realize how utterly insignificant and small we are in relation to God. I think that's one reason God gave us knowledge of the, the solar system. Like, I have no other explanation for how there's billions and billions of galaxies and stars. Like, to just maybe even proclaim to us, hey, you're not at the center. You're tiny. You're very small. And yet in that very same moment, 
it doesn't say, God doesn't say you're unloved or you're insignificant. It's in that moment of recognizing that I am utterly small that we realize that that is exactly where we should be. And we can receive God's grace and the world begins to make sense. We can begin to build a worldview because we see that God is God and we are not. Now, this is very simple, basic stuff. But it's hard for us. It's not natural for us. We tend to drift towards being the center of wisdom. We tend to have our pride puff us up to say like my kids do sometimes, I know, I know, Dad, don't, I don't need to hear. As we begin a series where we're looking to Proverbs for wisdom, I want to ask us a very important question. Can we confess that this morning that we are not God and apart from Him we make a mess of our life? Can you say that? There's no skipping this. There's no like, well, that, that was deep. Like, if, if you don't begin there, the rest of what you build is going to be on quicksand. It's not going to work. And here's the truth and the hard thing is that we often don't come to this place on our own. It's too hard. It's too embarrassing to our ego, to our pride. But the beauty of the gospel is that God loves us too much to leave us in our foolish pride. In fact, God came in flesh in the embodiment of wisdom and he pursued us in the person of Jesus. The wisdom of God came in human flesh as Jesus himself. And when we wouldn't lower ourselves before God, he entered into our place and lowered himself for us. Lowered himself even to the point of being crucified, murdered brutally on our behalf. And here's the, the beautiful thing about the cross is this morning for you, is that Jesus, as he is crucified and brutally beaten, taking upon the sin and the shame that we dealt him, it's an opportunity for us to look and say, hmm, maybe we know nothing. I thought I had it all figured out. Maybe you're here this morning, you don't, you don't know anything about this Christianity stuff. The cross of Christ causes you to pause in your pride and say, hmm, that's something. That God would lower himself to die, even for his enemies. Church family, I think this is the beginning of how we approach God in humility. This is the sign God has given us to wake us up, to sober us from our pride, for him to say, this is who I am. I'm not the proud, boastful, egocentric, arrogant jerk that you see on TV and all over media that the world uh, lifts up. I'm the crucified God. I'm the one who, when I have all power, here's what I do with it. I die for sinners. And that fear is the beginning of going somewhere with wisdom. That reality, that mystery of the cross, of God being crucified, is the epicenter of us understanding creation. Nothing makes sense apart from that. At the cross, Jesus offers us a new beginning to stop and look, to quit our continual reactivity and to reflect to see that there is a truth about everything, to turn away from the foolishness, to read the warning labels on the side of the box and receive forgiveness, to receive the Holy Spirit, which enables us to live and walk in wisdom. 
to receive a new heart that is alive to God, <laughs> that empowers us to come humbly and to say we don't know. I want to close just by leaving us with Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. And this is part of my prayer for our time in Proverbs over these next few weeks that we would come to this. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Let's pray. Loving Father, how thankful we are that you have sent your son Jesus to pursue stubborn, foolish people. How grateful we are that when we were wandering in darkness, when we were just kind of going with the flow of, of whatever, wherever nature takes us, that you entered in. As promised by the scriptures, you entered in and you lived the embodiment of wisdom. And you showed us your love for us on the cross by dying in our place. And you are raised again on the third day and now you've poured out your spirit into us, your church, so that we could reflect and embody that same wisdom. So Lord, this morning, I pray for those who are hurting, those who have been walking in foolish. Would you begin with the fear of the Lord for them? That they would see that they are, you are good and they would turn to you with all their heart. And Lord, maybe there, there are others who are just facing decisions. They're facing things that are, seem impossible. Would you, would Spirit, would you pour out wisdom to them? Would you give to them the wisdom they couldn't come up with on their own? Would your scriptures just pop out to them? Would they see how good you are? Lord, we need you. We need your wisdom. Guide us throughout this series. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you are looking for info, find our website at RedeemerRR.org or download the Redeemer Round Rock app from the Android or iOS app store.